Hi there, this is Darren Spoo, pastor at First Baptist Church in Tulsa, and welcome to our weekly message podcast. We would invite you to join us in person Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 o'clock in downtown Tulsa, or check out our webpage at tulsafbc.org. God bless you, and have a great week. So I want to introduce to you uh, Sarah Shaw. Sarah is one of our nine interns that we have this summer. And one of the things that she has been doing in her internship is working behind the scenes, helping me to prepare messages on Sunday, being research assistant, and already she has helped me learn a great deal. And I think it's appropriate as we cover the book of Hebrews, can't handle every verse as we're dealing with a chapter every week, but I think we can listen to the scripture and listen attentively to what God made us make say to us. And I'm going to zero on a few verses here in just a bit, but I would ask you to stand with me. And out of respect for God's word, that we would listen to Hebrews chapter 3 as read by Sarah. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the son over God's house, and we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and the hope in which we glory. So as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. During this time of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said, their hearts are always going astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest." See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the very end. As it has just been said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion." Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this time that we just get to come together and worship you, Lord. I thank you for the joy that you bring and the peace that you bring in times of struggle. I pray that you would help us to have listening ears and open hearts ready to hear what you have to say to us today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks so much. You may have a seat. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus the apostle and the high priest who we confess. I'm going to come back to that verse here in just a moment, but this summer I have been reading, for reasons I did not understand at the time, I began reading about the desert mother, mothers and fathers. The desert mothers and fathers lived about 300 years after Jesus, and Christianity was on this cusp of turning it from a persecuted faith into a culturally approved faith as Christianity 
began to spread throughout the Roman Empire. It was at this time that Christianity became the official religion of the Roman Empire. And a couple of things were happening. Because now Christianity was culturally acceptable, it was losing its edge. And Christianity was becoming, by and large, mediocre. Also, there were a lot of divisions and a lot of distress going on, and Christians were beginning to fracture. And also, on top of this, there was a rampant selfishness that marked the late Roman Empire. It was beginning to permeate culture. I don't know if it, any of this sounds familiar to you, mediocre Christianity and a lot of divisions and a lot of uh, separations and a lot of selfishness going on. So these desert mothers and fathers, they did that. They moved into the desert, but not to escape the world, but to engage the world in a different way because they decided what we're going to do is we are going to focus on loving God. We're also going to focus on loving one another in community, and while we do that, we're going to love the world and we're going to serve the poor the best way we know how. Am I being overly simplistic to say that's probably a pretty good way to live? What would happen if we loved God and loved each other and loved other people in the world? Pretty simple, right? Now, there are a lot of stories because this was such an interesting group of people, these desert mothers and fathers. Because this was so interesting, they wrote down some of their thoughts and some of their insights and some of the things that they were learning along the way. And so these writings come down to us, and there's been one story that has captured my attention. I don't know exactly why because it's not a flashy story, but it goes like this. There were two of these desert brothers, and they decided to live together. They decided to live together and love God and love one another and serve the poor. They said, that's why we are going to, this is how we're going to live our lives. And these two brothers decided together, actually separately, excuse me. One brother said, whatever my brother wants, that's what I'm going to do. The other said, whatever my brother wants, that's what I'm going to do. And we're going to live together in unity. Well, as you can imagine, Satan did not like this at all. And he was looking for an opportunity to disrupt the unity of these two men. And so Satan pulled a trick. And it started small, but he had a bird fly and sit on the window ledge of these two monks' home. And as this bird sat there, one of the brothers looked up and said, oh, look, a crow. The other brother said, that's not a crow, that's a dove. The other said, that's not a dove, it's a crow. And they started disagreeing about something that really didn't matter all that much. And they began to disagree so violently that they actually took fists to one another and bloodied each other's nose and went their separate ways. And the two lived apart for a season and they realized what Satan had done. The only winner in their disagreement was the devil himself because he loves to distract and he loves to cause disunity. And after a while, the two brothers realized this, so they came back together. And what's interesting, they don't even address the bird anymore. And that sounds kind of funny. I'll, I'll unpack it here in just a moment, but it sounds like such a silly disagreement. Aren't most of our disagreements silly? Yes. And so these two brothers come back together, and they say, you know what? We're not even going to go back there again. Who cares about the bird? Let's live together in unity. Let's love God. Let's serve one another. Let's serve the poor. And Satan was frustrated yet again. So I share that story with you because I believe it has some very modern and clear applications. Last Sunday when we gathered together, it was a pretty solid day. After our first service, I had a family unite with this church. After the second service, there was a man who rededicated his life to the Lord after years of being away. And 
In between the services, I talked with a young man who was considering giving his life to the Lord. These are things that are important to us as a community that, that this is why we're here. Then I go out to the car after church, and I make the mistake of turning on the news. And all of a sudden, I hear about a church in Bavaria, in Germany, that had their first fully artificial intelligence-led worship service. Everything in the worship service was engineered by artificial intelligence. Now, I've been to some worship services. It'd be nice to know that there's any intelligence at all at some point, but this was completely led by artificial intelligence. And there were some people that said, this is evil, this is a crow. And some people said, no, this is good, this is a dove. And the very next story was about Southern Baptists and meeting together this week, and may God have mercy on our soul. And some things that I think are unnecessarily divisive an issue. Some are calling it a crow and think it's evil, and some are calling it a dove and thinking that it's good. You know, the only real winner in divisiveness, in that kind of division and those disagreements, the only real winner is Satan. And I'm I'm being so naive as to think there's got to be another way. Instead of all the distraction, all the division, all the disagreements, all the sense of doom, Wouldn't it be great as we as a church family and as Christians in our culture, what if we just decided to love God, to care for each other, and to serve the world around us? Am I being overly simplistic to believe that? Yeah. And let other people call things a crow or a dove, whatever, let's just follow Christ. Isn't that what Hebrews chapter 3 verse 1 says? And I'm going to state this to you as though I'm saying it because I am. Holy brothers and sisters. I want to start by saying, holy cow. Holy brothers and sisters who share in a heavenly calling. By the way, that word heavenly is used six times in the book of Hebrews. It doesn't mean otherworldly. It means permanent. Things that are earthly, the distractions, the disagreements, they come and go. We have a heavenly calling. We have a permanent calling. This is who we are. Holy brothers and sisters sharing in the heavenly calling. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. What if we put our thoughts and our focus on Him and love God and care for each other and serve the world around us and all those things that come and go, we just let them come and go. And what's interesting here, as the writer of Hebrews talks about Jesus, he uses a couple of words that are worth considering. First, he calls Jesus the apostle. That sounds weird. In fact, this is one of the reasons I kind of like the book of Hebrews is because it uses some words about Jesus that don't show up any other place in the New Testament. Uh, For instance, in in Hebrews 4, it's going to talk about Jesus being our our anchor. Well, that's, that's not used in any other place in the New Testament but Hebrews. And so here it says that Jesus is our apostle. That sounds funny because we think about the 12 apostles who Jesus sent out, but here's the thing we need to understand. Before apostle was a noun, it was a verb, an apostle was someone who was sent out. Well, that was Jesus. In fact, he said to the 12 apostles, he said, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. So we have this picture of Jesus going out as an apostle, and then what does a high priest do? A high priest comes in. He goes into the presence of God. So this picture of Jesus that we have is He goes out and He brings humanity back into the presence of God with Him, 
But as the writer of Hebrews talks about Jesus, here's the main idea he camps on, Jesus' faithfulness. Because in the very next verse, it says, he was faithful to the one who appointed him. And then we'll talk about this here in a minute. He talks about Moses being faithful. He talks about Jesus being faithful. In fact, four times he uses the word faithful, 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 faithful. Faithful. Did I say it three <laughs> four times? Okay, that's four. We'll round it, okay? Jesus was faithful. I love what J.B. Phillips says. When he was working on his translation of the New Testament, he said, translating the New Testament is like working on the electricity of a house with the power still on. And every time we come to the name of Jesus, can almost hear the crackle of that power. Jesus is faithful. And that's where the writer goes off to say, if you want an example of faithfulness, here's Moses. Moses was a faithful person in the house of God, but notice Moses was a servant. Jesus also is faithful, but Jesus is the Son. And remember, the book of Hebrews was written to Jewish Christians. These were people who had been accustomed their whole lives to following the teachings of Moses, and the writer says, you're right to follow the teachings of Moses, but we follow the person of Christ. I don't know how many of you have ever been to um, Florence. How many of you have been to Florence and you've seen Michelangelo's statue of the David? How many of you have seen that? Okay. We went many, many years ago, the Academy in Florence. We weren't smart enough to buy advance tickets. So we stood in line to see Michelangelo's David for 10 hours with three small kids. So that's the equivalent of about 85 years of other time, okay? So we were just there forever. But you know what? Looking back, it was worth it. We got to see Michelangelo's David. So now, if you ever go to Rome, follow me here. I'm going somewhere with this. If you ever go to Rome, get up early in the morning and walk over to a little church called St. Peter in Chains. It's an odd name for a church, I know, but, but go to this church. What's in that church is Michelangelo's carving of Moses. In fact, we have a picture of it here in our, our main corridor. It's Moses seated as the great lawgiver. Here's the deal. You can walk in this church. Almost nobody knows it's there. There's no line. You can walk in, and instead of being pushed out of the room after about 10 minutes, you can stay there as long as you want to and see a statue that arguably is equal to or greater quality than the David. Just nobody knows it's there. So the writer is talking to Hebrew Christians. And for their whole life, they had lined up in front of Moses. Whatever he said they were going to do, they admired Moses. He was the Thing, the person to listen to. And the writer says, it's so easy, though, to forget to line up in front of Jesus. Moses is a servant. Good. Jesus is the son. And here's the main thrust. We can't handle every verse here in Hebrews 3, although we're going to come to one line here in just a minute I want us to camp on. But here's what the writer is concerned about. He's concerned that we are going to make the same mistake with Jesus as the ancient Israelites made with Moses. Let me say that again. The writer is concerned that we're going to make the same mistake with Jesus as the ancient Israelites made with Moses. 
Okay, so let's go back in time. Let's take that apart here for just a second. What happened with Moses in the Older Testament? Well, Moses was not only the great lawgiver, he was the great liberator. And he brought the Israelites out of Egyptian slavery. He freed them from their physical slavery, and he took them to the promised land. He took them to a land flowing with milk and honey that God had promised his people. But not only was there an end to slavery and the promise of a destiny or a destination, in between was a journey. It was 40 years in the desert, and here is the crux of the story. And while we have so much of the Older Testament, most people didn't make it. They didn't make it. They started out on this journey. They were now free. They had a destiny. But as they disobeyed God, they weren't loyal to Moses, and they died in the desert. And the writer of Hebrews says, we are in danger of what the ancient Israelites did with Moses. We're in danger of doing with Jesus. That Jesus frees us. We come out of the slavery of sin. We have this destiny and destination of eternal life, of heaven. But right now, we're in the thick of it, aren't we? We're in the slog. We're on this long journey. Nobody knows how many years that each of us has been given, but it's going to be a long journey, and we need to be aware and beware of falling away from Jesus, of living in disobedience and getting lost along the way. That's why the writer says, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Make sure you stay focused on him. Make sure you stay following him. There's going to be a lot of distraction. There's going to be a lot of discouragement. There's going to be a lot of disagreements along the way. But don't you get lost. Keep your eyes focused on him. And keep following. So now, I've told you before, as we study the Scripture, one of the best things we can do, just a good practice is look for words and phrases that repeat themselves. Because in so doing, what we do is we come upon um, the main thrust that the writer is trying to get across. For instance, in the first handful of verses, that word faithful shows up four times. Well, that's a theme. There's another phrase, starting in verse 7, that's used three times, twice in chapter 3, once in chapter 4, and it's from the Psalms. It's David reflecting back on what happened under Moses. And the psalmist writes this, and it's this phrase, it's this, these words we're going to camp out on this morning. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. I shared with you last week that the book of Hebrews is an exhortation. It's an encouragement. It's a pointing us in the right direction. So each chapter kind of has this exhortation. Here's something you really need to do. Here it is. Today... If you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Please nod if you're with me. This is tough being up here in front of this, um, this kind of thin room today. Yeah, it's tough. Y'all just sucking the energy right out of me. Yeah, I want you to just give a little back, okay? Here we go. So I want to take this phrase. Thank you for encouraging me. I appreciate that very much. Did, did Jeff use, did you use the same joke in the service as you did in the first one? We should just all move into the choir loft, and then I'll just talk up here on Sunday, uh, this Sunday. You think I'm joking. Let's move up here to the, no, I'm just kidding. So let's take apart that phrase, or that, that sentence phrase by phrase. Today, 
Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Today, if you decide to follow Jesus, if you decide to focus on Jesus, there's a real sense in which you are worried about one time frame, and that is right now. Listen, you can't change what has happened in the past. And so many of us in this room are still dealing with guilt over things that have happened in the past. We can't control what happens in the future. That is all out of our control and worrying won't change it, but that's where we live most of our lives. We live our lives in the past or in the future when we are called to live right now, today. But there's another sense in which this word today is less about just this moment in time. It also talks about this age. We live right now in the age of grace. Since Jesus has revealed himself, since he has died on our behalf, and since he has returned from the dead, we live in a season right now of grace. One of the best documentaries I've ever watched is a documentary, I think it's on Netflix, it's called Facing Nolan. And it's a documentary about Nolan Ryan, who pitched for the New York Mets, uh, pitched for the California Angels, he pitched for the Houston Astros, pitched for the Texas Rangers. I actually saw him pitch when I was in college, and I'm so glad I had that opportunity. But here's a man who in his career threw seven no-hitters, which is unprecedented and probably never will be accomplished again. But there's one thing in the documentary is he talks about, oh, one of the cool parts about this documentary, he's pitching at Arlington Stadium, and it's beginning to take shape that he's, he's pitching a no-hitter there were very few people in the stands at the beginning of the game because it was the Texas Rangers in the 1990s. That kind of explains everything, right? But all of a sudden, as word began to spread around the DFW area that there was a no-hitter in progress, by the end of the game, the stadium was packed. Word got around. But as he describes pitching a no-hitter, he said there's a groove you get into. There's something that happens. The whole world fades away, fades away. No matter how many people are or are not in the stadium, all you think about is two things. Pitch, glove, pitch, glove, pitch, glove. You're in that groove. For us as followers of Jesus, living in an age of grace, we get in this zone. Voice, obey. Voice, obey. Voice, obey. Today, if you hear his voice. That's the way all of our lives is meant to be lived, in daily, consistent obedience to him. So today, either this moment or in this age, if you hear his voice, God is speaking. God wants to be known. There's a lot of mystery to Christianity. There's a lot of mystery to salvation, but it's not a secret. God wants us to know him. Since I talked about Nolan Ryan, let's talk about another great Texan, Leonard Nimoy. Actually, he's not a Texan, but he should be because he's so cool, right? There we go. Somebody's already doing it. Hold up your hand if you know the Leonard Nimoy greeting from, from Star Trek. And I've, t I've told you this before, right? But I think this, for those of you who haven't heard it, this will enrich you greatly. Leonard Nimoy grew up as an Orthodox Jew, and the priest who used to serve in the temple whenever they would visit a synagogue, only the priests were allowed to bless people in a certain way using a hand gesture. And these priests, when they gave this blessing, 
The people in the congregation in the synagogue were required to close their eyes. It was a secret, right? And so the priest would actually hold up his hands, and this is an Orthodox Jewish blessing, and they would bless their people with both hands. Now, if you take that apart, this is the Hebrew letter Shen, which is the first letter of the greatest commandment in the Old Testament, hear, Shema Israel, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. So it's a way of, of putting that over people. So Leonard Nimoy grows up, goes to Hollywood, starts being a part of this sci-fi series and playing Spock, a Vulcan. He's asked to do a greeting, and he said, we need some kind of hand gesture, and just on a whim, because everyone else had closed their eyes in that synagogue growing up, but he peeked, and he saw this. And so he said, why don't we do a greeting like this? And so what's funny is the actress that was playing the other Vulcan, apart from him, she could not do this with her hand. How many of you cannot do this to save your life? So they had to do a little trick photography and so she could, she could give this greeting as well. But it was something that was meant to be a secret. Nobody was supposed to see it. Listen, God isn't trying to hide himself from you. Today, if you hear his voice, he wants to be known. He wants you to see him. He wants you to hear him. He wants you to be aware of him. The problem is not God's absence. The problem is our lack of awareness. Jesus reveals to us everything that is knowable about God if we would but listen. We'll talk about this more next week. But I, can I encourage you without heaping on guilt or anything else, commit yourself to reading the Scripture. Uh, St. Jerome said, ignorance of the Scripture is ignorance of Christ. Read a statistic this week that only 11% of Christians read their Bible daily. Don't expect to hear God if you're not willing to listen. And by the way, I'm kind of spoon-feeding us as a congregation. If I may be totally honest, I'm spoon-feeding us. Every week I do a midweek update. If you're a member, you get this by email. If not, it's out there on Facebook Live. We just handle two chapters every week. Right now we're in the book of Proverbs just to read two chapters every week and begin to listen to the Scripture and listen to Christ. And you say, well, two chapters a week is not very much, but over the course of the year, it's over 100 chapters, which is more than some people ever read. It's amazing what you can do if you just do a little bit at a time, but it's training ourselves to listen to God who does not want to be secretive. Today, if you hear His voice, now, here's the money part of the verse. Do not harden your heart. So I step back at this point, and I have to think very practically. Um, what are some ways in which we harden our heart? And, and by the way, that's used, again, that's some Exodus imagery. You remember the Pharaoh who didn't want to let Moses' people go, and his heart grew hard. That means he grew deaf to God and deaf to Moses' plea. So what are some ways that we in our day harden our heart. So hold up your hand here for just a moment. Just join me here. Do this just a second. Let me see you do the Vulcan greeting one more time. Okay. I feel so much better. Thank you. Now, you don't have to do that. That's not why we're doing this right now. Just put your finger right here on the heel of your palm, right below your thumb. Okay. Feel that skin. So that's, that's pretty tough skin, right? And, you know, we pick up things with our hands. Some of you have a little tougher skin there than others because of what you do for your manual labor. Now, keeping your finger there, the skin on the heel of your foot is three times thicker than the skin on the heel of your hand. The skin on the heel of, and you know this intuitively, 
you know, you can feel your heel and it feels real rough and hard, right? Because your foot takes a beating. Some of you, your heart may be hard before God today because you have just been beat up by life. And because life has so beat you up along the way, like the skin on your foot, your heart is just hard. And you say, I don't want to listen to God. Life is crummy. Can I encourage you with a couple of things? Thank you. I think I will. Don't blame God for what bad people have done to you. See, people do this all the time. They blame God for something sinful people have done, okay? Don't do that. Don't blame God for bad decisions other people have made. And let me encourage you, don't you make bad decisions because other people have made bad decisions. And I really wasn't planning to say this this morning, but I said it in the first service, so I might as well go out there in the second service. Southern Baptist met this week, and I'm just going to tell you it was kind of discouraging, right? Because um, there's an issue, and if you don't know about this, and don't and my encouragement is fix your thoughts on Jesus and other things come and go. There's an issue that was unnecessarily divisive. Some call it a crow or a raven and say it's bad. Some see it as a dove and think it's good. But it's, it's one of those issues that is unnecessarily divisive. And already I fielded a few conversations and emails from people who say, that's it. I'm done with this church and maybe I'm done with church altogether. Listen to me. Don't let the bad decisions other people make lead you to making a bad decision, okay? Don't let other people's actions that are not well thought and not sensitive to the Holy Spirit, in my opinion, don't let other people's actions lead you to a poor reaction because if there's division, whether you see it as a crow or a dove, the only person who wins in division is the devil. That's it. And so our job, what is it? Fix your thoughts on Jesus. So sometimes we're just deaf to God because we've been banged up by life. And life does hurt sometimes. Sometimes our hearts get hard because we've been beat up. Sometimes our hearts get hard before God because we think we know better God, I really don't need you. I, I kind of have life figured out on my own. Sometime go back and read Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Ecclesiastes, of course, was written about a thousand years before Jesus. And what's interesting, it was written by King Solomon. What's interesting is not a whole lot has changed with the passing of 3,000 years. Because Solomon, this man of wisdom, says, I've tried every way I know how to find satisfaction. And by the way, we still try these three things. He said, I tried to party all the time. Certainly that would bring me satisfaction. Nope. Well, then I gave myself to getting the best education I could get and being the top in my field. Certainly that would bring me satisfaction. Nope. And then I went on to try success and I prospered and I had lots of resources and lots of money and lots of wealth. Surely that will satisfy me. Nope. And I wonder for how many of us God is just waiting on for us to exhaust all of our options, to think we know better as to where our hearts will find rest, and he's just waiting to say, I'm right here. I'm right here. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Sometimes our hearts are hard because we get beat up. Sometimes our hearts are hard because we think we know better. And sometimes our hearts get hard because... 
and I'm about to out a big secret among churches. You ready? Sometimes our hearts get hard because we're just flat out bored with God. Did I just say that out loud? Come on, you've probably felt it before too. Especially if you've grown up in the church and you spent your lifetime, you go, no, I've sung all the songs, I've heard all the sermons, and I've been around the same very interesting group of people for a long, long time. And you go, you know, I, I kind of have done it all. I, I've kind of known it all. And, and we get bored and our hearts get hard to hearing the fresh voice of God. Let me encourage you with this. If your relationship with God has grown boring or stale, that is the very prompt that it's time for you to go into a new place with your relationship with God, for you to go deeper than you've ever gone before, to get out of the rut you're in and to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And maybe it's a matter of you really deciding to give Jesus your entire life and your entire future. But oftentimes we sit back and we're bored and we blame God for our own boredom. Could I say that that boredom may be a sign it's time for you to move into a deeper level of your relationship with God. And that's just out and out obedience and sensitivity to his voice. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. So I've been dealing with a medical issue uh, the last uh, year or so with my back. And uh, I've shared this with you all, by the way, just so I can save about a million conversations. Doing great. Thank you for asking. Let's move on. But I, I, I learned something the hard way. How many of you know what it's like to go to the doctor and he gives you instructions and you hear him, but you don't actually do what he says? Has anybody had this, this experience before? Wives, have your husbands had this experience before? Women are so much better at listening than our men. So, and I just saw one kid point a finger at his dad. That's awkward. Skip, I don't think there's any dessert for you today, or Hugh, I don't think there's any dessert for you today. Sorry about that. So it's one thing to, to hear. It's another thing to listen. And something miraculous happened. This last time after having surgery, the doctor gave some instructions. My wife was in the room with me, and she said, Darren, did you hear the doctor? And I said, what? <laughs> no, I said, I heard him and I'm finally ready to do what he says. And you know what? Something surprising has happened. He actually knows what he's talking about, right? Uh, things are actually getting better. How about that? If I had only known all this time today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. God actually knows what he's talking about. He actually knows who he is and who you can be in a relationship with him as restored by Jesus. And that's why I would encourage you, all these other things, you wonder if we get distracted many times just because these are things maybe we feel like we can control a little bit and we don't deal with what's most eternal. So all the distractions, all the disagreements, all those things that cause division, all those things that give us a sense of doom, to push those aside and holy brothers and sisters who share in the permanence of a heavenly calling. Fix your thoughts on Jesus, our apostle, our priest. Let's stand together and let's pray together. 
Thanks so much for listening to our weekly message podcast. At the end of each worship service on Sunday morning, I offer a simple blessing, and I offer that blessing to you today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you, and may God grant you peace, both now and forever. Amen.